All right, we are still in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to read just a couple verses from James chapter 5, and then we're going to turn to another portion to expand upon that. James chapter 5, verse 17. We'll start at 16. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Okay, so the the example that James is bringing to us of a man who prays, and prays very effectively, is Elijah. And he says, by the way, I want you to know that Elijah had a nature like ours. So he is saying Elijah is very much like we are. He wasn't just this, you know, really famous, great guy. He was just a regular guy in his nature. Though he accomplished so much. Let's look at Elijah and see what his life was like. So let's turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, now, now you have 1 and 2 Samuel, and then 1 and 2 Kings, and then 1 and 2 Chronicles. So Kings is between Samuel and Chronicles in the Old Testament. So if you can find any of those, you can find this. So 1 Kings and chapter, let's look at chapter 18. Let's, well, let, let's look at 1 Kings chapter 17 just for a moment. 1 Kings chapter 17, reading from verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And that is where it says in James that he prayed that it would not rain, and it did not rain. So there's an example of a negative prayer saying, I prayed such and such would not happen. And it says, and it did not rain for three and a half years. And then in James it says, and he prayed again, and the skies poured forth rain. Well, what happens in, in, in 1 Kings 18, it is a beautiful demonstration. And Shireen and I have been to that mountain on Mount Carmel. I've been there actually a couple of times in Israel, and it's really quite amazing. You're standing up on this mountain, and this is the very mountain on which this event took place. And uh, uh, Elijah challenges all the priests. Uh, there's, there's 850 of them. You look, look in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 19. Now then, send and gather to me, all, to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 400 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So he said, bring these 850 false prophets and let's have a service. And so what he did is he said, go ahead, build an altar, and if your God is God, call down fire, and your God will come and bring fire upon the altar. So they set up their their altar, and he says, go ahead, call on your gods. So these 850 priests are calling on their gods, and obviously nothing happens. You know, the fire, you know, nothing happens. And so then he's laughing at them. He says, oh, well, maybe your God's kind of busy. Maybe he's uh, off on a journey. And, and, And he's just speaking to them and mocking them. He's saying, look, you know, you're following these gods and they're not doing anything. And it says they start cutting themselves with lances, thinking that, you know, if they start shedding their own blood, their gods will look from heaven and nothing happens. 
And so then Elijah says, okay, and he builds an altar. He takes 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He puts the, the meat offering on it. And then he says, cover it with water. And so they pour pitchers and pitchers of water on this thing. He says, do it a second time. And they do it a second time. He says, do it a third time. And they do it a third time. And then he calls down fire from the Lord. And then in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, it says, um, verse 36, 1 Kings 18, 36. At that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you may turn their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let any one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. So when you stand up on this Mount Carmel, you can see the Kishon River at the base of the mountain. It's all still there. I mean, the river is there, the mountain is there. Now, they've they've built a a church right up there on that spot. But other than that, it's the same mountain in the same spot. They've built built churches, monasteries or churches on all these spots where where these things in the Bible have happened. uh, um, But anyway, so... He called 850 prophets, but the 450 of Baal, he had them slain because they were false prophets. He had them slain there. So this was quite a remarkable thing. So this is quite a guy. Elijah was a great prophet. Imagine calling down fire. It doesn't say it just consumed the offering and the wood. It says it consumed the stones and the dust and licked up the water. I mean, so you have such hot fire coming, the rocks are just being consumed in this fire. This is what happened. And then the people are just struck by this. So this is the man with a nature like ours? Well, let's look at what the nature of Elijah was like. And now he's, he prays that it starts raining. It hadn't rained now for three and a half years. And he prays that it starts raining. And as it says um, in verse 45 of 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 45, In a little while the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. Now, Ahab was the king of Israel at that time. His wife was Jezebel. Never name your daughter Jezebel. You can name your dog Jezebel, but don't name your daughter Jezebel. She was really a wicked woman, and the Bible refers to, to her and even uses this, this wicked Jezebel-type Image, imagery, even in, in the book of Revelation at the end. So Ahab was the husband, Jezebel was the wife, this was the king and the queen of Israel, and they were really pretty corrupt, Jezebel especially so. Remember it says that these prophets, these 850 prophets, used to eat at Jezebel's table. She only entertained these false prophets. In verse 46, Then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. Now Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life, as the life of, of, 
one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Okay, so, Ahab goes back home, he tells his wife, oh, by the way, Elijah killed 450 of your prophets of Baal today. And she sent a messenger to Elijah, and she said, may God do so to me, and more so, if I don't do to you what you've done to them by this time tomorrow. Now, this is a great man, Elijah, who just killed 450 false prophets, called down fire, and what does he do? It says he was afraid and he ran. And what we're going to see now is we're going to see a man slip into depression. You know, I heard a, a newscast this week, on, uh, uh, this past week on NPR, about depression on college campuses and the amount of depression among students on college campuses. And let me... And, and I could relate to this. Personally, I could relate to this. And it talked about how those who are undergoing depression often feel like they're the only ones feeling this way. When we know in our minds that's probably not true, but when we are suffering from depression, the feeling is, I'm the only one feeling this way. And there are certain tendencies that people go through when they are depressed. And they talked about it on this radio program, and I could relate to this, because I saw it in my life, I saw it in the lives of many students that I've worked with. For example, it talked about how students will often just want to go to sleep. I mean, it is sort of an escape. Let me just go to sleep. There are eating disorders that can come, either eating too much or eating too little. There are times of wishing that we were dead, common, common among those of us who slip into depression, wishing that we are dead. And there are also then times suicidal thoughts that will go through people's minds. And even at times people acting out upon those. And just this past week, uh, just last week, I also took a course on uh, suicide prevention. And I took this course because I work with students a lot and I wanted to, to understand how to work with students that are struggling with these sort of things. And all of this was coming together when I was reading this scripture and meditating on it, that Elijah is a man with a nature like ours, the scriptures say. Now let me just put my life in context for you in, 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 in exactly what I'm saying. You know, there were times in high school that I was depressed, um, but I think I was more angry than depressed. I came from a functional family in the sense that my mother and father were together. There was a lot of chaos in our home. But it was a functional family in that my father went out to work every day and he brought home money and, and we lived as a family. And nonetheless, you know, there was a lot of anger in our home. And when I got saved at the age of 18 as a freshman in college, a lot of this, this sort of uh, depression and anger really dissipated from my life. But then early on in my marriage, there was like a resurgence of it. And I had just, you know, finished PhD, finished postdoc, just started my new job as an assistant professor. And I had a beautiful wife, and I have a beautiful wife, and I had two beautiful daughters at the time. And so if you would just look at my life, you would think that I had everything going. I was 28 years old, I was a professor. I had done two years of postdoc. I had done four and a half years of a PhD. And here I was a professor. 
and I had a research group, and I quickly picked up five graduate students, which is an enormous number even today to pick up in one's first year. But I was depressed, and I would go into these stages, and poor Shireen couldn't relate very well to this. And I would say to her, don't you ever just want to be somebody else? She said, no, I like who I am. Wow, what a novel concept. So did, don't you ever just want to look different? She said, no, I, I like the way I look. <laughs> How can that be? Now, I know that there are many of you that probably relate more to where I was than where she was. And so we went to a, a friend, we were introduced to a, a, a man who was a professor at Columbia Bible College. And we went to see him, and he talked with us, because Shireen couldn't understand me, I couldn't understand her, and I would go through these, these, these periods of depression, and I had everything going. And if you look at it from the outside world, why should I be like this? Why should Elijah slip into depression? He is the mightiest of all prophets. Because these things are inexplicable when you're just looking from the outside perspective. You know, and somebody could have sat down with me and say, look, you've got your health, you've got a great education, you've got a great job, you have a beautiful wife who loves the Lord, you've got two beautiful little girls. What's your problem? And that was part of my problem. That I had all of these things going for me, yet I was depressed. And this guy who we met with, he looked at us and he said, these little problems you're having between the two of you, he said... Look, Shireen is a normal sinner. Jim, you are a messed up sinner. And so he started meeting with me. And I said, help me. And I was really open to help. And so I would drive each week from the university over to his office at Columbia Bible College, and we would talk. And I had wanted to pay him many times. He would never take my money. He says, what I'm giving you is priceless. I said, so let me pay a portion of it. He said, it's all or nothing. So he wouldn't even take my money. But he said, I started to tell him, I said, you know, I have all these things going for me. I just won a big award from from the Navy, this Young Investigator Award. Two were given in the country that year, and I won one of them. Huge. And all I could think of is if they really knew what I was like, they never would have given it to me. Can you relate to that? You know, I have all of this stuff going for me. And why am I like this? And he started telling me about himself. Now, this guy was in his 80s at the time. And he said, I wish that I could wave a magic wand and just make you better. He says, but I cannot. And this, in some way, will be with you for the rest of your life. And he started to tell me his story about all his accomplishments and how he could never get past this feeling of depression. And he said, it's in here. He says, people couldn't relate to it. He said of my wife, he said, your wife is the most well-adjusted. He said, of all my life I've met two people. One is my wife, Shireen, and the other was, was a guy named Robertson McQuilkin, who had been president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. He says, these are the two most well-adjusted people I've ever met in my life. I was married to one of them. And the poor lady couldn't understand me, why I would be so depressed, even thoughts of just, I just want to die. Now, I never tried to take my life, though I had thought about it. I had never tried to take my life. I was really quite depressed. 
What we're going to see in Elijah is the same sort of thing. But what he worked with me on is, just I want you to realize it's in here. You're never going to be totally free of this. But you will learn to live in spite of it. And I'll tell you, you know, when I came out of that, I may go through a depression for an hour or for two hours. But even all through that time, if you had asked my colleagues, they never would have said Jim Tour was depressed. Never. They would say, yeah, he's an upbeat sort of guy. But it was inside. It was in here. It was in my times alone. And it was with my family saw it. But only those who were very close to me saw it. So if you're struggling with depression, I know what you're going through. God loves you, I love you, and this thing that the world would be better off without me is nonsense. I know in our lives, as a couple, as a family, I have touched thousands of people for the Lord. Touched thousands. Yet there are even seasons now when I could think, what use is my life? Have I really accomplished anything? And you think, like, what are you talking about? If, if you were to ask any of my colleagues, they'd be like, what is the guy talking about? I don't know. It's in here. You know, if I look at it from the outside, I bring in more money than just about any other professor at Rice. I think I have the biggest research group of anyone at Rice. Probably won as many awards as just about anyone at Rice. Why am I like this? Because it's in here. Let's look at Elijah and see if he had a nature like ours, or at least like mine. Elijah, uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better, I am not better than my father's. I mean... This guy had a nature like mine. This guy, Elijah the prophet, had done so many miracles. Just call down fire. Fire comes down from heaven. Says it shall not rain, and it doesn't rain. After three and a year, three, three and a half years, he says it's going to rain. Boom! The skies pour forth rain, and he sits down under a juniper tree. After leaving his servants, said, "You stay here." He went off another day's journey. Sat down under a tree and said, "I just wish I was dead. Lord, take my life. Lord, take my life." I am no better than my fathers, meaning everyone else is better than me. Everyone is better than me. You see, Elijah was very much like me, and maybe like some of you, who feel that I'm no good. Everyone is better than me. When you have that feeling, I want you to know that you are not alone. You are with Jim Tour and you are with Elijah. You are not alone. This guy is saying, God, just take my life. Now, Elijah's prayers were really answered. Now, when this guy says, Lord, take my life, you've got to stand back. Because God was used to answering this guy's prayers. He says that the world would be better off without me. That has been my feeling on many occasions. That was this guy's feeling. He'd be better off without me. I'm no better than anybody. In fact better off without me. Verse 5. And he lay down and he slept under a juniper tree. Oh! He found the same solution I had found. I'll just go to sleep and just 
go in this state of semi-consciousness where I, I don't even know what's going on. I just want to get away. Elijah knew that. He knew how to deal with it. He lay down and he went to sleep. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked and behold, there was in his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is great for you. So he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of that food thirty days, 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So the man goes to sleep. And he slept and he slept. And after a while, you know, God is looking at his watch. He's got some work to do here. So he sends an angel. Poke the guy. But before you do it, God sends hot baked bread and a jar of water. Hot baked bread. So an angel wakes him up. Most people would see an angel and go, whoa. When you're depressed, all these things of God that excite other people, you're like, doesn't do anything for you. And it's not because you don't, you, you, you don't want to be a killjoy. It's not because you, you, you don't want to get excited about the Lord. It's just, the Lord's just not exciting you. I mean, an angel appears to him. Most people would just, you look at other appearances of angels in the Bible and people would just fall on their faces and say, Ah, oh, this guy's like, what are you waking me up for? Come on, bring me along. Let me sleep. Here, wake up, I've got something for you to eat. Here is this miracle. In the wilderness, there's this hot baked bread. Just the smell and the aroma of it. And a jar of clean water. Just eat. He eats the whole thing. And he goes back to sleep. He goes back to sleep. And the angel was like, God, what am I going to do? Just let him, let, him, let him sleep for a while. Just let him sleep. You know, I still love you, God says. You go to sleep. I still love you. I understand. Just go to sleep for a while. You wake up, you eat, and you go to sleep again. God says, it's okay. I still love you, Elijah. I still love you. And then he wakes up again. He eats again. And then he goes for 40 days and 40 nights without eating. You talk about eating disorders. Either he's eating too much or he's eating too little. Verse 9. Then he came there to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Okay, so what does he do? God says, what are you doing here? God just very tenderly doesn't say, look, man, what's your problem? What is your problem? Do you know how much I've blessed you with? you know how much I've given you? I even showed my angel to you. I brought you bread. You called down fire. You prayed. You didn't rain. You prayed. It rained. What is your problem? God wasn't like that. He says, He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Uh, I'm hiding in a cave. <laughs> I've been really zealous for you. I tried, Lord. I really tried. I really tried to get excited for you. And, you know, they're just killing prophets left and right around me. Jezebel's just killing all sorts of them. And the sons of Israel aren't seeking you. My whole life is a mess. Everything I touch. I'm supposed to be the great prophet calling people to you. Look at it. All the prophets are dead and Israel is seeking idols. 
And this is the perspective we get. We can only look at how negative everything is. And God is like saying, don't you see how much in his heart? But he's just listening. And the world is saying, look how much you're accomplishing, Elijah. In Elijah's perspective, he'd accomplish nothing. In my perspective, I had accomplished nothing. I would turn to my wife and say, I've not done anything in my life for the Lord. You know, I had shared with so many people all through school, wherever I was. And I would turn to her and say, I haven't done anything for God. I mean, what was going on up here? Well, there was something here. This is what this guy's struggling. He feels he's done nothing. So the Lord said in verse 11, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And he beheld the Lord was passing by. And a great and a strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So God appears to him. God says, go stand on a mountain. I want to show you something. God sends this wind, so much so that it's breaking the rocks in pieces. So he's standing on this mountain. God is picking up boulders and throwing them one against another in this huge show of His power. Slamming and, you know, pieces of shrapnel flying all over Elijah. Huge boulders. Elijah's unimpressed. When you're depressed, you go to a worship service, you're very often unimpressed. Everybody else is excited. Everyone else, you know, you hear this message, wasn't that great? I don't even remember what he said. This is thinking about my own self. About how much better it would be in this church without me here. So God sends a fire. This roaring fire goes by him. He's unimpressed. Sends an earthquake. Everything starts shaking. It doesn't do anything for Elijah. Then he sends a gentle blowing wind. And Elijah appreciates the gentleness. And he comes forth and he covers his face, maybe because out of respect, or maybe because he feels he's unworthy. I don't know. But it says he covers his face with his mantle. And God says exactly the same thing after showing him all of his power like this. Earthquakes, wind, fire. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah repeats exactly what he had said before the show. He says, I've been really zealous for you. I really tried. And my whole life is just a waste because nobody's seeking you. All they do is, you know, I've converted all these people to be prophets and Jezebel killed them all. Would have been better if I never made them into prophets. My life is a waste. I mean, God, so tender. Here's a guy who had prayed, Lord, just take my life. It's enough. He says, I'm not going to take your life. I love you. I love you. I really care about you. And so look what the Lord says to him then. Verse 15. Then the Lord said, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, you shall anoint Haziel, king over Aram. 
And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meheloah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall come about that the one who escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu, shall put to death. The one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God says, let me tell you what I'm going to do with you, Elijah. It really bothers you that there's not been justice in the land, that those who are wicked reign. I'll take care of that. I'm going to bring a king in Israel. I'm going to bring a foreign king, and he's going to deal with these people. And whoever escapes, I'm going to, I'm going to have you anoint Jehu king, and he's going to end up killing Ahab and all these other wicked folks. He's going to take care of them. And Jehu ends up having, having Jezebel killed as well. Jehu just clears the whole thing out. And he says, I'm going to bring up a friend for you, another prophet, Elisha. This prophet, Elisha, stood by Elijah's side, amazingly. Elijah said to his servant, stay here, and I'm going on to servant stay. He had said on many occasions to Elisha, Elisha, you stay here. So Elijah would say to Elisha, you stay here, I'm going on. You know what Elisha would say to him? No way, I'm going with you. He wouldn't leave him alone. He became a friend that stuck with him to the end. So many times Elijah said, don't come with me. Elijah said, don't come with me any further. And Elisha said, no way. I am not leaving your side. God raised up for him a friend. God raised up 7,000 people in Israel, a community. And God said, I'll bring justice. You think your life's a waste? Justice will come. I'll raise up for you a community. I'll raise up for you a family. I'll raise up for you a man who will stand by your side. And I'm going to receive you to heaven. That's been my testimony. My wife stood at my side. And I got through that. And I met with this guy... I don't know, for a period of several months, once a week, and then it shifted to once every couple of months, and then he became a close family friend. And in here, the thing has never left me. And there are periods, half a day maybe, where I'll go into this and think, I've accomplished nothing. What have I even done? Yeah, I've published all these papers, but nobody even reads them. And then... You know, I've come out of it. It doesn't last like it used to. There are seasons. And God has shown me. He has done great things. So if you struggle with depression, remember, Elijah did too. He was a man with a nature like ours. God is so gentle that you want to sleep, God understands. That you have eating disorders, God understands. That you're unimpressed, by the spiritual things that impress many others, God understands. He said, I'll bring about justice. I'll use you. You'll accomplish great things. I'll provide for you a community, a family. He is there. There are many people that care about you. God cares about you. There are others that care about you. I care about you. But I know the struggle that no matter how much I say that or the Bible underscores that, in here, There's that thought, it would be better off without me. I know that feeling, and you are not alone. You are not alone. And I guarantee you that there are more than one of you among this group here that feel that way, that can relate to what I'm saying, that can relate to the life of Elijah. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for what you demonstrate. The love, the care, the understanding. When by the world's standards, we cannot rationalize why we should feel this way. But you understand and you gently give us promises that it will work out, that you will use us, that you will provide for us justice in our lives, that there will be good that will come from it, that there will be a community, that we will touch people, and that you would provide for us friends that are close. Father, thank you for this truth. Lord, I pray for the young people here and those that are listening. Father, I pray that you encourage their hearts and as they feel that pain within, that they just wish their lives were taken away from them, that you would just give them sleep and comfort and rest. Feed them, nurture them, I pray. See them through this, I pray. And may your encouragement, your great encouragement be on these young people. Father, see them through. In the name of Jesus. Amen.